Blog Talk Radio. gentlemen and welcome to the 594th edition of the Feuerstein's Fire American Soccer Show. I'm your host Daniel Feuerstein. I'll give you American perspective of our clubs, leagues, players, national team and other fabulous moments. Get your daily reading from me and other writers over at Rebel News Network as well as beyondthe90.substack.com. Come on in. Chat room is open. Talk amongst yourselves if you like. If you have a question for me, I'll try to answer it to the best of my abilities. So, recently, a couple of days ago, Jeff Reuter of The Athletic prints out an article that there is a possibility during next month's United Soccer League's Board of Directors meeting, which of course includes... All the owners involved in USL Championship, USL League One, USL League Two, they want to make the move to go into promotion and relegation. And just recently today, I wrote my end of that argument at Beyond the 90. And you can go to Twitter where I've advertised it, or if you follow me on LinkedIn as well, you can go there to, to read it, or go to beyondthe90.substack.com. Now, let me say this. I have said that if one day our clubs and our leagues move on and adopt promotion relegation, I will not stand in the way. I will not go against those wishes. In fact, I would be for it. And if they don't, I'm happy with where they are right now. I understand everyone's complaints about not having it. I understand everyone upset it has not happened. I will be for it if it does come to fruition. But as of right now, the only ones that want it to happen are the United Soccer Leagues. And obviously, USL Championship, USL League One, USL League Two. And at the same time, I am against having promotion relegation just for the sake of having it or using certain tournaments to just say, well, let's do it for the Open Cup. Let's do it for this tournament. Let's do it for that tournament. That's the only way that this will satisfy our cravings to have promotion relegation. So... Let's just say it does happen that USL will adopt promotion and relegation. 
And that would mean reconfiguration for 2024. And in 2025, that's when the target year begins. But once again, the problem is USL will still be a closed league, just like all the other leagues in American soccer, like MLS, like NISA, like NPSL, UPSL. And whose fault is that, that this has continued on to be like this? Well, the U.S. Soccer Federation. It is their fault for allowing these problems to continue to fester. Once again, you cannot have one league Start having promotion relegation and leave out the rest. Just cannot do that. Because we are not in a true pyramid. Where is the sporting merit? It's only in USL because of their current situation. Now, here's this, the thing that I have always been upset with in this current situation. If the United Soccer Leagues does adopt promotion relegation, then that means that they will go to U.S. Soccer and demand Division I sanctioning for championship. That would mean USL League One would be the second division. They would make USL League Two a professional league because they want three tiers of professional leagues with USL. And that would mean those teams that are currently in USL league two would have to be renamed either USL league three, or maybe bringing back the old name, the premier development league, because that is the short season league at this point in time. And if that happens, we will have USL Championship, Major League Soccer as Division One, USL League, USL League One as Division Two, and we already have three leagues that are in the third division, which would be USL League Two if it does happen. Already, NISA, MLS, Next Pro. And then you get to the amateur semi-professional status with U.S. Adult Soccer Association, P, you know, the supposed USL League 3, PDL, NPSL, NISA Nation, and so on, and so on, and so on, because that would be the national leagues and the amateur leagues. I am, I am not saying... U.S. soccer has to be like England where there's over 80 different divisions in that country. The truth is, it's really 84 leagues or 84 divisions in England. So whoever used to be the top dogs long time ago when the sport was created, they're probably all the way back down to who knows where. 
I'm not asking for U.S. soccer to go that far. I'm asking for clarity. I'm asking for common sense. All I want is everything to make sense. And it's not. But as I have stated a long time ago, and this is even the same argument I've made about the soccer-specific stadiums, because it all intertwines with everything that is going on involving promotion and relegation. And once again, this phrase continues to pop up in my head. And yes, I've used it based on history, American history, and from the movie musical of 1776, as the president of Congress, John Hancock, had to settle a tying vote because at the time, with the 13 colonies, and at the time, New Jersey had no representation because there was no one there at the time, the colony of New Jersey. Six colonies said yay for independence to break away from England, and six said nay. So it was up to John Hancock, the president of Congress at that time in Philadelphia, to say where he was going to go and which votes he was going to side with. He sided for those that would say no to independence. And his reason was, if we do it now, we are going to expect a civil war between ourselves, meaning some of them will leave this idea of independence to join the British to keep this nation a English colony. under the rule of King George III. And that is why the Declaration of Independence was created for that. But once again, this phrase that I have used many, many times to talk about this subject, this mechanism of promotion and relegation, because John Hancock said, Either we all walk together, or together we must stay where we are. And that is true with this subject, this topic, this hot-button issue. Because all I have ever heard are hot takes. Is that what we're all about here? Who has the better hot take? Because you know what? That's not the way to go, folks. I am not saying this to say no more talk about promotional relegation. No, I want it. But I want it to make And those people, for those of you who have been demanding this to happen now, get it done now and not worry about it ever again. Your buddy, Mr. Westervelt, all he knows is hot takes. Because if it's the hot take, you may think you've won, 
but in reality, you've lost. You need to peel away the, the barrier, the blanket, and you need to get the key to open that door, go inside, and actually examine the situation we are all in. Because if you continue to break through the window and assume there's a fire, the only person that's going to get burnt is you because you were fooled. I continue to say this no matter what. And I am giving you the honest belief that one day it will happen. But we all need to understand, if we rush this, if this situation is not done properly, we'll suffer. The clubs that attempted this situation too early. Believe me, I want it. Without a doubt, I want this to happen. But we cannot rush this because even though it will happen or it won't happen, hopefully we'll see what happens in that vote in August. But honestly, this should still be put on hold until, as I've said already, every single club and every single professional league secures, builds their own stadium to make sure this, this situation does not get destroyed, does not get ruined. Because that is real care of the game in this country to get to sporting merit. Ladies and gentlemen, i got a great show for you tonight. Joining me on, uh, on a recorded interview, my good friend, MLS Season Pass analyst, USL analyst on ESPN+, college soccer analyst, CONCACAF and Open Cup analyst, Devin Kerr, as he, a South Florida native, saw the introduction of Lionel Messi to enter Miami. Here is that interview right now. And this is the American Soccer Show. Daniel Feuerstein here once again as we talk about that magical night over at Drive Pink Stadium in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And the man on the site with both Taylor Twelman and Kalen Kyle of MLS Season Pass, the one and only Devin Kerr, South Florida native. Devin, you got to tell us. What was that night like over at Drive Pink Stadium to introduce the biggest, I'll say it right now, the a god of football in Lionel Messi being introduced as a member of Inter-Miami? It was wet. <laughs> it, was, it was very, very wet, Daniel. It was, um, it was not Drive Pink Stadium. We'll say that. I'll get the dad joke out of the way now. Uh, as always, first off, appreciate you having me on, buddy. We've uh, we're fortunate we get to text a million times all uh, back and forth, but we've had some conflicts recently. So I'm glad to be back with you. Number one, thank you for that. Thank you um, for coming on. Yeah, bud. Number two, yeah, it was incredible, man. In my position, there were some things we'll say behind the scenes that 
worked out for me, there, you know, and um, other people that unfortunately weren't able to be involved because of some travel issues and things, and I was happy to be involved. And just, again, it, I posted this on social media that felt truly honored that MLS was willing to say, hey, we're going to trust you that you're able to step into this opportunity and situation and then run with it. So it was really, really cool. The entire production, I know there were some technical issues, which I know the fans were complaining about. Understand that with all the moving parts and the travel issues and the weather, that prohibited a lot of kind of QC that goes on behind the scenes normally. And I still think it looked amazing. You know, it's one of the coolest things that I've ever been a part of. And it's one of the more enjoyable things that I've been able to go back and watch in this country's history, man. I mean, it's you're talking about Lionel Messi and one of, if not the greatest all time, depending on who's Mount Rushmore you're talking to. And the lighting was cool. The atmosphere was incredible. To be able to be there literally feet from all of this taking place is a memory that it's not just going to stay with me, bud. It will sit in my front pocket, my back pocket, you know, however you want to phrase that for the rest of my life that will pop into my head. And I know that anytime I'm ever having a thought of, wow, this is a rough day or I wish this could have gone better, I'll pop that memory into my mind and be doing just fine. I mean, just to see every single seat packed in that stadium, just to introduce him to not just Miami, but to the entire country and even let the world know this is his landing spot to be in Major League Soccer was just unbelievable. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this in my entire life. And I, was, I wasn't I was even born when Pele came to the United States to sign with the New York Cosmos in the original North American Soccer League. Yeah, you know, it's funny to kind of give you an idea. Uh, a friend of mine who isn't really – he understands the game for sure, but much like many Americans that don't regularly follow football, they don't fully grasp what is coming to this country nor what took place. And his text to me was, he's a huge American football fan, NFL, he texted me and said, so let me get this straight. This guy sold out a stadium and he didn't even touch the ball, right? Like that's that is only a taste of what is to come, and I'm with you. I didn't experience Pelé coming here. I do remember when MLS started, though. I remember, I remember when the 90 World Cup was in Italy, and I saw a couple exhibition games around this country, namely the one my family was looking at the possibility of moving to Florida at the time for my dad's work, and we were based out of Omaha, Nebraska, where I'm from. I remember coming here, seeing a game at the Orange Bowl, and the World Cup was on display. Now, the World Cup then, you could walk right up to it and they would let you hold it. It was insane. And that memory, to think that the greatest trophy on this planet was accessible to an everyday fan, and all of a sudden, you're taking the arguably the greatest player ever who has held that trophy and pretty much every other trophy available on this globe and bringing him to this country it's astounding, man, in the best of ways. Overwhelming at times, for sure. The initial thought is, wow, great player. He's going to help enter Miami. You see the reinforcements that he's dragging with him. Sergio Busquets was announced on that night as well. 
Jorge Moss came out earlier on Tuesday today and said that um, they expected to announce Jordi Alba, that that would be done today. The rumors about Luis Suarez, um, Iniesta, his contract with Vissel Kobe, no longer there. There's chances that he's coming here. So all of a sudden, kind of that influx of talent that you've seen follow Ronaldo to the Saudi League is now starting to follow MLS. And while financially things are different, that can change long term. There's a Board of Governors meeting this week, actually Wednesday. I would expect the pop of changing roster restrictions, maybe not necessarily coming into limelight like this season, possibly, but I would imagine definitely for next year. And, you know, it's you get on the hamster wheel and you start slow, and then it starts to speed up, and the next thing you know, you are miles and miles into this. There's a bunch of people around you. There's more money. There's more eyeballs in this, more opportunity, and it's for the greater the good of the game, right? Oh, absolutely, and that's what I've been stressing for. I mean, we got to grow up here with MLS. I mean, look, I understand you got to tighten the, spur, the, purse, uh, the purse strings anywhere possible, but, you know, if you want this league to be a league of choice, is what, of course, I'm quoting Don Garber for yeah. what he has said many, many years ago and, and, you know, how he's run this league. If you want to attract the big names of world football to come over here, whether, okay, towards the end of their careers – or to even challenge some of these clubs in Europe to say, hey, listen, we can give you a better chance to play your game here and still be part of your national team. I I mean, this is a welcomed uh, changing of events if they do relax the roster rules. Think about the – I don't want to say full circle because that's probably not fair in this situation. So think about the past that has followed. So you mentioned kind of some of the bigger names, older in their career for sure, some that were here for a year or a month, some that spent a couple of seasons, some that were here for a couple of years left and, and continue to play in, in Europe and beyond. We started in the mid-90s, 1996. I can remember when names like Carlos Valderrama coming to the Tampa Bay Muni and subsequently Miami Fusion. At that point in time, I'd relocated to South Florida. And what a big deal that was. Now, the American names, I want to be real clear, I'm not taking anything away from the guys that built the structure in this country. The Harkses, the Ramoses, the Winaldas, the Balboas. Like, I've had the opportunity in my travels, although I've met them before, I've never had the opportunity to work with them professionally. And I have nothing but the utmost respect for them. I mean, I was stuck in a rain delay with Marcelo Balboa in St. Louis and just professed my undying admiration for him and how he was a god to me growing up, right? And so those guys are one thing, but getting the European players was such a coup. And it started, you know, there was for sure like Landon Donovan coming home, I get it, but, you know, there's the David Beckham, there's the Robbie Keane. As names have gone on, it has turned into some of the – the Lampards, the Gerards, the Schweinsteiger, Pirlo. And, yeah, that's at the end of their career. Call it a money grab. Call it a publicity play. No matter what it was, now they've – there was a little period, which is still present, where the South, Central, and Latin American players coming here were showing you that you know they wanted to take – MLS wanted to take – young kids and be able to turn them for a profit. And while that's still there, they're now finding ways to intertwine even bigger names to get them to either come back or come and see it for the first time. Again, it it doesn't matter if he's my goat or not. Lionel Messi 
is is top five. There's no argument there. Greatest player to ever step on this planet. The guy won a World Cup seven months ago. The fact that he is now in Major League Soccer is unfathomable to me in the best of ways. Like, I wish nothing but success for everybody involved. But if you asked anyone from Inter-Miami, and we talked about it on the broadcast, even some of the ownership, Jorge Moss and David Beckham, that group, they said, yeah, possibility, sure. Actuality? I think you'd find them hard-pressed to be willing to put their money on the pass line in that situation. And you know what, Devin? There's an opportunity here, not just for the league, to become big when when Messi does start playing. Of course, he'll begin in the League's Cup. But on August 23rd, Inter-Miami will be traveling to TQL Stadium to take on FC Cincinnati in the semifinals of the U.S. Open Cup. I don't remember ever seeing David Beckham or even Thierry Henry play in an Open Cup match. And Inter-Miami, as terrible as the year they've had, they are one step away from winning a trophy. Yep. Yep. Um, so I have a couple different viewpoints on this. Number one, big picture within the league. There are, within, within his arrival, three competitions, Open Cup, League's Cup, and MLS. Within MLS, that conversation is not a great start at all. He's going to have 12 games, I believe, is the number to help get this back on track. I saw something put out on social media, which, as we know, is never wrong, but it said something along the lines of, in his final 12 games, they would probably have to acquire 25 points uh, to add to their total in order to give, get an argument into the postseason. Now, that was done based upon historics, finishing, average points per game model. I, I find that very difficult to do. Now, not taking anything away from Messi, of course, he's he's incredible. He's a you know he, he he's incredible. He's amazing. There's there's no other words for about him. And then when you start to add the other pieces that we talked about, you've got a good goalkeeper in Drake Callender. Joseph Martinez is still there. Leo Campana is still there. You've got the young players. Um, uh, the young man, David uh, David in the midfield. David, what is his last name? Is it Ruiz? Mm-hmm. I'm having trouble now. I apologize. That's okay. Um, yeah, he's he, you know good player. They've got young talent. Who stays there? Who else comes in? I don't know. But to try and accomplish that feat, in my mind, is more difficult than two competitions in League's Cup and Open Cup that are nine games in totality. You have to win a semifinal and a final. That's two games to win a trophy. You are going to have to go on the road to... FC Cincinnati, TQL, and then to your point, if they win that game, then they have to see who the winner of the other game is. If Houston wins, Miami's going to host the Open Cup final. If RSL wins that game, Miami will go to altitude, and they'll go travel to RSL. Either way, two games to win a title. Friendly reminder, that immediately gets you into Champions League, right? Champions League. Champions League gets you into the Club World Cup if you win that. That is a much more career or indirect path, I should say, for success and for even more eyeballs and money to be put into that competition and, more importantly, put into that team at this point in time. If you want to make the argument for League's Cup, we're talking seven games. Because of their finishing place last year, they have to go into group play like almost everybody else does. They'll have two matches in group play. Then they'll go round of 32, 16, 8, 4, and then the final. So five games in knockout round, two in group play, that's seven, two in Open Cup, nine. In my mind... 
The easy message is, why would you not chase two trophies in nine games to try and go get it? The problem you're going to run into that the public is probably not going to be privy to is the fact that we don't know what sort of stipulations are in the contract about what requirements are there for Messi in domestic play. Remember, that game on the 23rd, he debuts on, I believe it's the 20th or 20th, yeah, it's the 20th. He debuts on that Sunday, the 20th, at home against Charlotte. So it's going to be, it, I'm imagining they're going to start him and debut him. So he's going to be on short rest, travel, and they have a game on the weekend. So short rest, again, is there an appearance clause? Is there a minutes clause? We still don't know the answer about turf or not. So I'm with you. Historically, those players haven't really been there for those games. I'm not sure how it's going to play out. There's a ton to take in, but certainly not just his arrival, but within the competitions themselves, a ton of opportunity for Messi to make some noise early. You can listen to Devin Kerr on select matches on MLS Season Pass. You can also hear Devin Kerr on select matches for U.S. Cell Championship on ESPN+. Plus. College soccer's coming very soon. He'll be doing that. Listen to him as well for Open Cup games as well as CONCACAF events through streaming. Devin, as always, thank you for your time. I really appreciate it. Miami, South Florida, MLS, we have the best player in the world on our shores. Cheers, brother. Thanks for having me as always, Danny. I'll speak to you soon, bud. And once again, that was Devin Kerr on the Lionel Messi Inter-Miami situation. Now let's go to my next guest. He is the play-by-play voice of El Paso Locomotive and USL Championship. This is Mr. Duke Keith joining me tonight. Duke, welcome to the show, and how are you, sir? I'm doing well, Daniel. Thanks very much for having me. And thank you for the invitation. I appreciate it. Um, boy, oh boy, El Paso having a hell of a year so far. I know earlier in the season they were in the uh, first place in the Western Conference. Now three points behind Sacramento Republic in first place. Uh, San Antonio in second place with 34. Of course, they just had their recent battles against San Antonio. But what has it been with this club so far that they've done so well in the Western Conference this year? I think uh, there was there was obviously they lost their first three matches, and that was you know everybody kind of wondered exactly what was going to happen, but then they went to Louisville, and beat Louisville City three nil, and it was just a it was twelve unbeaten after that. They have uh, they did lose to New Mexico. They've lost a couple of times since. They've drawn a couple of times since. I think it's just uh, they're getting to the point now where it's kind of that. You know, it's just kind of the dog days of summer. And I think every team, you know, it's such a long season. You go from March to October just for the regular season, and uh, and then, you know, you, you have to deal with like eight months of a slog. And I think that uh, they're, they're kind of having a bit of a dip in form. I think Brian Clare out, the head coach, technical director, would be the first to acknowledge that. And uh, he's saying that the, the main thing they've got to do is put the ball in the back of the net again, something they were doing to great effect and scoring frequently uh, during their 12-match unbeaten streak. But uh, that has been, that's been a bit of an issue over the last uh, couple of matches. And just scoring, really, their first goal in the run of play, even though it was, it was kind of sort of off a set piece, it wasn't uh, a direct set piece or a corner kick or something, 
was off a free kick, and you know, but you, you would still call it during the run of play because the ball was touched a couple of times before it finally went in. Very wor- well worked goal, but um, yeah, it's 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 been an issue, just putting the ball in the back of the net all of a sudden. You know, in Major League Soccer, we always talk about what FC Dallas does, what the Dynamo do. Now Austin FC is in the league for a couple of seasons right now. But, you know, these teams are not slouches either in Texas when it comes to San Antonio, of course, El Paso, Rio Grande Valley. What has that been like with those, when those three sides get together for a big match? Well, it's been very cool because they've started uh, this, this. It was started by a supporters group. Uh, from San Antonio. Their supporters group is the Crocketeers in El Paso here. It's eighth notch, which is uh, kind of a play. It's when you open up a steam locomotive all the way, it's, it's, you've opened it up to the eighth notch. I guess there must be, you know, seven notches, six notches, et cetera. I'm not really sure, but eighth notch is the highest one. So that's where they get their nickname, but it's, it's called Copa Tejas. Tejas is something that was born of the fans and really supporters groups, and it's really mu- very much for them. And there's a different Copa Tejas for Major League Soccer as well as the USL. I know the NWSL uh, the Houston Dash is a part of this as well. And uh, you compete, you know, obviously there's one for the USL and the three teams that Texas has in Rio Grande Valley and, and in San Antonio and El Paso. And there's one for the three MLS teams. And then there's one that's uh, kind of for everybody. It's called the Copa Tejas Shield. And that also involves the Houston Dash. And uh, very much looking forward to the USL Super League, with which, which will be women's soccer. Uh, they're going to involve all different levels of that. And so you're competing against all of the other Texas teams for the Shield, which is for everybody, Major League Soccer, USL, NWSL, soon to be, you know, Super League. And then there's, you know, your, your specific cup for whatever competition you're in. And I think that's a really, really great thing. Uh, and it's very much, you know, it, it's something the players want to win. Locomotive was first to win it in 2021. Um, San Antonio's the defending Copa Tejas champion for 2022. And uh, look at, looking like they're, they're in a pretty strong position to repeat right now after defeating Locomotive here 2-1 a couple of weekends ago. But... Um, uh, or a couple of Wednesdays ago. But it's right now, it's, you know, it's a good competition between the teams, and it's just that little something extra uh, to get them involved in and uh, in something you really want to play for. The players love it. Supporters groups, obviously, they love it even more. But uh, the players, it, it is something they want. You know, I remember hearing a, uh, like a Josh Wolf pregame speech, a pre-match speech for, for their Copa Tejas you know, their, their pursuit of Copa Tejas with FC Dallas and, and Dynamo. And he's saying, we've got our hands in the cups, boys. Let's go get it. So you know it's important to everybody who plays for it. And uh, I think it just adds a little spice to what's already a pretty spicy matchup when it comes to all of these different teams that are a part of the Lone Star State. I got to ask you about Louis Solniak, obviously a veteran in this league and uh, eight goals so far in 18 appearances, uh, leading this club with that uh, big amount. How important has he been in the attack for this locomotive side to at least be in the top three of the Western Conference? Integral, absolutely integral. The Argentine is is something else, and he has not scored actually since uh, mid-June. It's been over a month now. And, uh, and locomotives' fortunes have fallen a little bit by the wayside as a result. 
so they've got to get him the ball, and they're they're trying to do that. It's you want it, you want that dude to have the ball at his feet and uh, and make things happen, because usually good things do uh, when he's going. But um, it, it's critical for him to be a part of that. I would also say our U- Ukrainian midfielder Denis Kostashin has been pretty key. He's got four goals in the season. Uh, Lucho is he's just got such class, especially you get him inside the 18-yard box. And whether it's one-touch volleys, um, this is this is how they uh, scored versus San Antonio in the Alamo City to tie the match after Locomotive had fallen behind twice, uh, 1-0 and then 2-1. He scored the, the second tying goal, and they walk out with a 2-2 draw that they probably, you know, it, it didn't look like that was going to happen, and then all of a sudden it did. Lucho Solignac is, is integral to all of that, and uh, – he is he's absolutely critical because of his class, but you know everybody else knows that, so they kind of key on him and and as of late, it's kind of been a rough go for uh, for the Argentinian forward but uh, he is I have not seen a player at this level at the championship level where, who has that kind of touch and class that obvious class around the goal like he does there you know there's some dudes that can score bangers. There are plenty of guys who could score, but just, you know, the different movements, the stuff off the ball that he does, very, very, very few at this level who are like him. That's, I bet so. I mean, my goodness, uh, you always need that, uh, that little bit of flair to uh, get your side going to get those goals. And speaking about flair, obviously he's no longer with the club, but uh, the trajectory Diego Luna had, starting out with El Paso, now going yeah. to RSL, Real Salt Lake, and MLS. But that stint in the U.S. under, excuse me, for the uh, under twenty World Cup that was held in Argentina this past May June. Um, just talk about how well he was with your club and how happy is everyone for him succeeding where he is currently. We are ecstatic, and uh, El Paso is very, very proud that Diego Luna spent his year and a half here, uh, his first years as a professional. And you could tell that, you know, there was something special about this kid from the very beginning because he just he's, – he's got a nose to go on the attack and make things happen. You know, uh, he had, I think, some very good mentors, not only from, from guys like Lucho Solignac, uh, from, from Yuma, who's kind of the talisman, their uh, team captain and defender, a lot of guys who've been around the world, but the guy who really brought him to El Paso happens to be uh, uh, retired now and is an assistant coach with FC Tulsa. That's Richie Ryan. And Richie was the one who spotted him. He was actually looking at somebody else. Somebody had, you know, kind of given him some game tape. And Richie at that point was kind of a player coach on the, on the field anyway uh, for Mark Lowry, who has now moved on to Indy 11, obviously. But, uh, but he spotted something like, the tape he wanted was for somebody else. And then he saw Diego Luna. And he says, oh, my, this kid's got something. And uh, brought him here, took him under his wing. I think he roomed with, with Richie for a little while, Richie and his wife and their family, uh, just when he first got to El Paso. But uh, it's, he's, he learned how to be a pro here. And I think that that is just – it was absolutely critical to his growth. And what I've loved is, is watching him take a step up because – you could tell when he was first here, he wasn't shy, but he didn't really know how to do interviews and media availabilities and things like that. And you look at him now, and, uh, you know, you can, you can still tell he's, there's a little bit of nerves uh, when he speaks to people, but he speaks with confidence, uh, knows what he wants to say, 
doesn't get drawn, get drawn into head games and mind games that some people want to play. Uh, the kid's heady and, uh, and is, was absolutely a force on the pitch when he was here. And, uh, I mean, the, the sky's the limit for this guy. Very true. Very true. And that's a fun story to hear about. And I hope uh, he'll be part of the senior men's national team somewhere down the road. Let's see if he makes the Olympic team, though. They qualify for the Olympics, that under-20 side that Diego was on, and hopefully uh, they can go to Paris for the Olympics. That would be great to see. And uh, anytime I know, you know, he's he's a good Bay Area kid and uh, he's been through El Paso with Real Salt Lake, but he's proud to wear the red, white, and blue every chance he gets. Absolutely. Um, I have to ask you this. I know this is currently the fourth season of the locomotive, but me, myself, obviously, actually. Uh, remember the old days of uh, the El Paso Patriots back in the day uh, before they fell. You know, what was that like in El Paso, if you can remember, you know, between the Patriots and the locomotive when the soccer wasn't uh, as uh, solid as it is now? As dry and as hot as the desert is today, <laughs> I can tell you it was, uh, <laughs> it was not. It is uh, pretty warm here today. We're 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 baking at about 107, 108 degrees. Uh, so yeah, we're we're kind of in the middle of it. And of course, it is the desert. It was dry. Uh, to not have soccer here was difficult. But you just knew it was. You know, at some point, somebody was going to take a runner and, and make something happen. Uh, I'm so very happy that it was the Mountain Star Sports Group, which uh, oversees the El Paso Chihuahuas of uh, the AAA Pacific Coast League uh, baseball team. It's the affiliate of the, of the Padres. Uh, and they, they also own and operate uh, Locomotive sister, uh, sister Club, FC Juarez Bravos, who play in Liga MX uh, right across the border. And it's, it's kind of an interesting setup because two of the players on the, on the uh, locomotive roster – uh, Aaron Gomez and Eder Borelli both played for FC Juarez back in the day. And we had a third, Leandro Carrico, who has since retired. Uh, he's kind of the team spokesman for Bravos these days, also played with Locomotive. So there's been, you know, there's been a nice co-opting of some of that talent. You know, guys who were kind of at the end of their contracts decided to come over to the United States side of the border and, and make it happen. So there's uh, quite a bit of synergy, but, uh, I, I love the fact that it was that particular ownership group because they've got a real vision and uh, really one of the bedrocks, I think, of the championship in the five seasons Locomotive has been uh, been in operation. And uh, I, I know that the ownership, especially through COVID, uh, the, the USL championship really appreciated kind of that, you know, having Mountain Stars kind of the bedrock of an ownership group when everybody was really going through some tough times financially it was wonderful to have the backing and uh, they've, they've got some good people in charge of that. That's helped immensely. Um, And it was right. It was just exactly what I wanted to see happen. And uh, you know, you have designs on all sorts of things that you'd love to see. And I've been a part of soccer with, with every, you know, whether as a professional in media writing for the Albuquerque journal covering the New Mexico Chiles back in 1990 uh, or the El Paso Patriots back in the day. Everywhere I've been as a professional, we've had a, a pretty decent club with some good ownership that, that really tried to make some things happen. And the Patriots sure did back in their day. First professional team to make a finals uh, of the U.S. Open Cup in the modern era. 
a year before Major League Soccer in 1995. Happy to say I was a part of that. Uh, but, you know, the Mountain Star Sports Group and Locomotive has certainly taken it up to the next level. I think one of the things I'm proudest of seeing is the advancement of youth soccer in the youth academy with Locomotive. Uh, we've got a guy in charge of that named Ivan Militar. He's a Hungarian. He played college soccer here in the States. And he and his staff have done an amazing job uh, bringing along lots of different uh, youth sides, uh, youth clubs, all sorts of levels, boys and girls. And uh, they've sent so far 16 players off to play college with scholarship money. And that is, that's happened in two years. So 10, 11 last year and five this year. It's been a very impressive run, and uh, this, this team is well-placed. So, yeah, I, I really could not be happier to see what Locomotive and Mountain Star Sports Group has been able to accomplish. No, that's absolutely fantastic. I'm very happy to hear that. I guess my final question to you is this. As you've already said, they're on a bit of a lull, and hopefully they'll break out of it. But what does El Paso Locomotive need to do to try and recapture that top spot in the Western Conference? Once again, they're only two points behind San Antonio for second. They're a full three points behind Sacramento for the top spot. What do they need to do to get back to that top spot to finish strongly? I think Brian Claire Hout would simplify it and say, put the ball in the back of the net. The scoring has got to be there. The defense has been solid, which is why they're only three points off the top spot still, uh, even though they really haven't won straight up in, in geez, uh, a couple of weeks. But, but it's been, you know, it's just been difficult. I think everybody goes through their adjustments, right? All season long, you see the adjustments, and then you see the adjustments to the adjustments and so forth. And it is, like I say, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a real slog to go from March to, to October and then be a part of a postseason and, and, and try to remain special. But health has been, I think, a real key. Uh, they've been able to remain healthy, relatively speaking, through this little dip in form. And defensively, they have stayed in form. I would say that the main thing is just to be able to find those outlets to work the ball up and, uh, you know, the final touch, the final one or two touches uh, to really get the ball in. Uh, that's, that's been what has really broken down from the early part of, uh, you know, this season. Um, and I think that that's, that's the form they need to regain. The, the, the good part is this is a mentally strong team and a tough defensive team, as, as I said, and, uh, you know, they were up against it. Rio Grande Valley scored in the first half uh, on the weekend, Saturday night. And it was, it took until the 88th minute for Locomotive to equalize. But they found an equalizer. They, they dug down deep, found a way to put the ball in the back of the net. And uh, they've got some top-level guys to make that happen. So, you know, I think it's just a dip in form. Um, you know, and I think that there were some tired legs out there, too third time this season that this that they'd had like one of those three games in a week span you know uh, they've had that happen to them three different times through the usl championship schedule so there were some tired legs out there but they they fought their way through it got their tie i think with a week's rest uh we'll see something different come this saturday night when they face off with oakland roots a team that they have not beaten straight up so i think that there's some added incentive this is you know over the three seasons or so that Roots has been around. So they're looking for a win against Oakland Roots, and uh, they've, they've got that incentive and, and have, I think, fought their way to a point where they could get some rest and, and be fresh and ready for this weekend. 
Absolutely. And I know I can't wait to see them go on the road at Sacramento uh, on September yeah. 16th on that Saturday. So that's going to be a fun one for you guys as well. It will be. It's going to be great. And, uh, you know, they're still, let's, they're done with San Antonio. They need to face Sacramento again. Uh, lost to them in one of those, that was one of the opening pre-matches of the season in El Paso. And then, of course, San Diego. Uh, they beat San Diego in San Diego. Loyal still has to come here. That's going to be a big one. And uh, let's not forget about the, the ones that are nipping at Locomotive's heels uh, in Switchbacks FC, New Mexico. United has gotten a big push, and they've, they've had their two games against Locomotive. But uh, there, there are some teams that are on the, on the make, and I think Switchbacks is probably chief among those. Absolutely. Duke, once again, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. Good luck with the rest of the season, and hope to hear from you again soon. Take care, sir. Thank you, Daniel, anytime. I appreciate you having me. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you once again. You bet. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Duke, Keith, um, excuse me, uh, joining me tonight to uh, talk about the El Paso locomotive and a very good season so far, a bit of a lull, but let's see what happens uh, further down the road in the rest of this regular season of the 2023 USL Championship League. Should be a lot of fun. It should be exciting. Now time to talk about the New York Red Bulls and that poor performance on the road against Real Salt Lake, allowing Diego Luna to score. Did pull one back by uh, Frankie Amaya, and unfortunately beaten again by a golazo by Jefferson Savarino. Um, you know, just a very, very poor opening half. Just a very poor start to the game. Uh, should have been better. I know they got back John Tolkien and Corey Burke from the Gold Cup duty. But still, though, that was a very poor start. The first goal scored in the second minute of the match by Diego Luna and... They just couldn't connect anything in the final third. Shot selection was horrible. The At times, concentration was lacking, especially on the defense. And great job by Troy Lestane to make the substitutions he had to at halftime to change things up. But at the end of the day, even though they did change things up, and even though they got a great goal from Frankie Amaya to make it 2-1 at the time, still, though, just not enough to get a point in this one. And the Red Bulls right now back to 11th place in the Eastern Conference. And uh, they're in trouble right now. And even though we're at the League's Cup coming up, still in trouble for this club. And they got to snap out of it. They got to fight out of it. And, you know, there is plenty to play for still to get to that last playoff spot, to get to that ninth place position, because even though DC United is currently treading water and they still have their head above it, let's be honest, you know, they're ripe for the taking. Their goalkeeping situation is absolutely poor. And once they are done with League's Cup, depending on how far they go in it, their first opponent will be at home on Sunday, August the 20th against D.C. United. So, if anything, they got to really start 
this run, they got started right now. I don't care what happens in League's Cup. If they go all the way to the third place match or the final match, at least they qualify for the CONCACAF Champions Cup. But if they don't, fine with me because this League's Cup is just a joke that should not even be bothered to be used as a true tournament. They should never have issued this to put a pause not only in MLS's seasonal schedule, but also for the Liga MX's seasonal schedule. I believe is their Clausura uh, season right now. I could be wrong. It could be the Apertura season. We'll have to. I'll have to double check with that. But um, it's one of their two seasons. So, but once again, it is just really a joke that this league's cup break is coming and uh, it's just a waste of time for me i'm unfortunately i'm sorry but let me go to frankie amaya four goals in five matches this is unbelievable the production that we're finally seeing from frankie amaya that's why he was drafted first overall by FC Cincinnati several years ago. And even though he didn't work out in Cincy, he's worked out here with the Red Bulls, and he has been solid so far. He is doing an amazing job, and we have not seen production like this, honestly, since Bradley Wright Phillips. He has been consistent. He has put the ball in the back of the net. He's put himself in fabulous positions. Got a brace against Atlanta United. Got a big goal against New England Revolution. Got another big goal against Real Salt Lake. Four goals scored in five matches played. That is something that cannot be discounted. Now the issue is what needs to happen with this club to move forward. And the truth is something has to happen in the transfer window. Something has to happen during this transfer window that can give this club a break and finally move forward. Who will that player be? I don't know. But we all know this. It's not just I, – I think they're fine on the forward department. I think they're fine on the defensive end. Goalkeeper is okay. It's just that attacking midfielder, that creative midfielder that is missing. And I understand that it's pressing, but it would be nice to have a creative midfielder to help out with the forwards. And maybe they can go diamond formation in the midfield. I really want to go with the double pivot with Edelman and Amaya. Now that Christian Casares Jr. has been transferred to France to play for Toulouse. But once again, something's got to give here. Thing needs to give here and be in favor of the Red Bulls. Maybe it's time for them not to be so club or 
system focused anymore. Maybe it's time for them to change things up. Maybe it's time for them to just say, we've got to bring in a player that will make this team perform better. And that's all we want. And that's all what you want. And if that is the case, then let's bring in somebody in right now. And at the same time, as you heard through Devin Kerr in the recorded interview, MLS is thinking about changing up and fixing their roster rules. And it's about time. Whether it's going to be done this year or start of next year, it's been long overdue. And it's time to really allow these teams who want to profit from getting better players to fix what needs to be fixed during both winter and summer transfer windows. Because now this club can go after whoever they want to go after and not have to worry too much about what is, who is the right player to go the Red Bull way. Because I think for the Red Bulls, I think it's time for them just scrap it and go after a player that will help this club move forward and improve. That's it. Nothing more, nothing less. But until then, they'll be stuck in mediocrity for no reason. This is not just a legacy club. This is the club that should be considered as one of the best in Major League Soccer with the best soccer stadium in this country. Period. Well, I want to thank my guests tonight. I want to thank Devin Kerr of MLS Season Pass, USL uh, USL on ESPN Plus, Open Cup, and CONCACAF. I also want to thank the play-by-play voice of El Paso Locomotive, Duke Keith, for joining me tonight. My name is Daniel Feuerstein, and don't forget, the Women's World Cup will start on Thursday, July the 20th, and I'll be joined by Carter Krishnire from World Soccer Talk for USA Women's National Team Women's World Cup post-game shows starting this coming Friday night. They'll be late. It's going to be in Auckland, Australia. Uh, in Australia and in New Zealand. So thank you very much for listening to me tonight. My name is Daniel Feuerstein, and once again, please enjoy your football. Thank you. Take care. So long, and bye-bye for now.